This morning I'll be sharing on where your treasure is, which is about the treasure that's hidden in the field. But on the podcast that will be coming out of that word, it will be preceded by this book review of our friend Brooks Wilson, who's here today. And at the bottom of the file, the notes, which you will get when you click on to get the sermon on the podcast, you will see the link that you can go to, the Barnes and Noble link, that will give you access to looking at the book for purchase and to invite other people to look at the uh, availability of that book. All right? So I'm looking forward to that this morning. So right now, I would just like to read the review, Meeting Life's Challenges. Meeting Life's Challenges is an autobiography of Brooks Wilson's life that invites us to meet him at four years of age and join his journey of life up until the current time of the writing of this book. We share the days of his early years, the son of Rob Wilson, who was born in Mudgee, New South Wales, and Peg Wilson, who was born in Massachusetts, USA, as Gertrude Brooks, the daughter of Clayton and Grace Brooks. And this Australian-American heritage of Brooks Wilson becomes a central feature of his life, which is grandly enhanced by his marriage in 1959 to Anne Meredith, a journalist from Springfield, Ohio, USA. These early years that tell of Brooks's comprehensive education, business training and career achievements are marked by his foundational Christian upbringing which defines his philosophy of life. In the preface to his book he draws from the Apostle Paul's teaching about loving one another and in his own words he says, life is not all about us. The key is to forget self and reach out to others. The heartbeat of this philosophy is steady throughout his book. Brooks's marriage to Anne, whom Brooks describes as the centre of his life, not only consolidated the Australian-American heritage, but it also opened up a life of travel for Brooks and Anne that took them on a journey of adventure and discovery to many countries and regions and cultures. They had many interests in common, including their shared commitment to Christian values, and their journeys of travel together reflect both their shared appreciation of the cultural diversity and the social interaction they experienced, along with a shared sense of purpose and mission of investing their care into the lives of everyone they were to meet, no matter where they were from, or what they did for a living. A striking example of how travel with meaning and purpose planted itself into their relationship leaps out of the book as Brooks describes some travel itineraries from the year of their wedding. If we could see the entry and exit visas on both their passports in one eventful week in 1959, we would see them stamped with New York, London, Switzerland, and back to London, topping it all off with Brooks proposing to Anne while they were flying over Paris at night 
And Anne said, yes, page 69. Brooks takes us into his and Anne's active family life with their children. We get to learn of their splendid achievements, sometimes against the odds, and their growing up and marrying and the arrival of grandchildren who likewise grow up to meet life's challenges, again, sometimes against the odds. All of that flows into and out of a background of significant recent and present day events where we meet heartwarmingly regular people and inspiringly noble and notable people such that we're made to feel at home with them on their pages, with the monochrome photos aiding the connection. The author's style is straightforward and easy to read, but as you catch the style, you realise how energetically it moves the story along. He employs short, punchy sentences that get the reader into lively dialogue as if we were sitting around the table with himself and a host of other guests. After the years of preparation, in laying the foundation of discipline and study and applying the principles of life that he valued, Brooks Wilson starts to hit his straps and his potential becomes realised in a career of leadership that leads to countless areas of expression. With his home base firmly settled in Australia and maintaining strong ties with the US, Brooks begins working in Sydney with a company called Coppers USA, K-O-P-P-E-R-S. And through this company, he connects with two businessmen who had been at Harvard Business School, where Brooks also studied. Brooks worked with these two men to set up a business arrangement between Coppers USA and BHP Australia. And Coppers Australia Proprietary Limited was finally registered as a 50-50 joint venture with BHP. This Australian company was renamed KAP, with Brooks Wilson serving as marketing manager in Sydney as his first appointment and then in time becoming managing director of this very profitable company and creating international trade links with many countries and regions in the Pacific, North America, the Middle East and Asia. The narrative of the company's international trade hits a cracking pace in this section of the book as the author describes multiple meetings with heads of state in Australia and the USA and in China, with the China connection providing a good dose of intrigue in times of global headline events. One paragraph that sits modestly among the dealings with China describes what is called a compensation trade agreement, and it reads, this was the first venture of any type to be agreed between Australian and Chinese companies and worked for the mutual benefit of both companies. Many of these impressive milestone events are backed up by citations in the appendices from various magazines and newspaper articles. Towards the end of the book, in the second last chapter, Brooks Wilson rolls the story back into the 1800s and features legendary family members who have wound their DNA into the personalities of the current generation of Wilsons which makes this work a true chronicle that any family would treasure. But this book goes beyond the chronicle and legacy of past and present family history. The writing has been coiled to project a decisive challenge of how to face the future to all who read it. This book is not just for the extended Wilson family and their friends. 
It is a book to be offered to any person of any age who desires to know how to build a vision for their lives and who would like to know what ingredients of character and courage and compassion deserve to be taken in hand and given to their world. So bless you Brooks, thank you for that. Now I'd like to share in the word today from Matthew chapter 13 about the kingdom of heaven. I'm calling this where your treasure is. There's a scripture that says where your treasure is that's where your heart shall be also. So in Matthew 13 verse 44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In the days when this parable was written, there were no central banks as we know them, but there were money lenders. And they kept people's money on low interest and they lent money out on high interest. That's called banking. This led to the practice of people burying their money in fields that they owned in a hidden place to use when needed. But if anybody happened to be working on that field for whatever reason and found the treasure, they would know that it didn't belong to them. It belonged to somebody else and that stealing the money would get them into big trouble. So if somebody found that treasure and they really valued that treasure, they'd have to buy the field and use the treasure perhaps to trade in business or even get some interest from the money lenders. And we see this principle in another parable where Jesus speaks about a landowner who was travelling to a far land and he gave different sums of money to his servants and told them to trade it. And he'd reward them when he returned. That's in Matthew chapter 25. They all did well and they profited to different degrees and the landowner was pleased with their results except for one servant who buried the money in the field and he didn't put it to profitable use and he didn't even put it in the bank that word bank in the Greek comes from the root word trapeza which is described as a four-legged table that serves as a money exchange counter that's where we get the word counter from as well. You count your money on a table and do the business. So anyway, the unprofitable servant who buried the, the treasure was punished for his idleness and the unprofitable servant was cast into the outer darkness. That's verse 30. Outer darkness, when we look at that spiritually, it's the state of the soul that is driven by fear and frustration and emotional turmoil. While inner light is the state of the soul that is powered by faith and hope and love. The point is, it's one thing to have a treasure buried somewhere, but it's essential to put that treasure to good use. As we have a responsibility to be productive and to share our productivity with others and not just heap up treasures for ourselves. 
You'll see the reference to that in the book that I was just speaking about. It's not just about us. As far as spiritual treasure is concerned, nothing compares with participation in the outward flow of the divine life for bringing grace and goodwill into this world. It is also the most fulfilled state of being that a person's soul can experience. And it's sadly odd that most people are not interested in that. If I didn't focus on letting God in to my inner being and then moving through that inner being and then flying out to others, then I wouldn't know what I was on this planet for. There'd be no purpose. Not once you know. In the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, the treasure represents the gift of the life of Jesus hidden within our hearts. And our hearts represent the field. We don't buy the treasure. The treasure's free. You buy the field. The Bible says that where our heart is, that's where our treasure will be also. You buy the field, the field yields the treasure. And we may have allowed the field of our heart over the years to treasure random things that bear no worthwhile comparison to the highest treasure there is of the divine life within. We need to sell off the old field of our heart that contained all the pursuits that we once thought were treasures and buy the new field. Now look, those pursuits don't disappear. They can be fine, worthwhile pursuits that we've had in heart. It's just that they lose value in the hierarchy of your values. And they go down lower and lower until the real treasure emerges. The miracle of God's grace, even though I've been talking about buying a field and digging the treasure and everything else, the miracle of God's grace is that the new heart is given to everybody for free by God. A new heart, I'll give you. And it's simply waiting to be discovered by our faith. There they are, all those new hearts of the new covenant. Every decision of faith in that new territory, when somebody appreciates that, says, thank you, Lord, for the gift of life and a new heart, a new covenant. Then we pour faith into that. The faith changes the things that we decide to do, to follow, to commit to. And that grows the area of the new territory. And as the old heart gives way to the expanding territory, we experience a greater and greater appreciation in this new heart of the treasure that's within. The treasure just seems to become more and more valuable all the time. Everything else just pales in comparison. Our spiritual journey is one of being aware of having a new heart and letting our faith decisions become the trade-offs 
of the old worldly values and the negative emotional baggage for the new life-giving value of the Kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul said that he had suffered the loss of all things to gain Jesus. Paul purchased the right field and found his treasure. In Philippians chapter 3 you read about that. Paul also writes about the treasure as being in an earthen vessel, which is our outer life, everything that's outer, our body, the circumstances. And no matter how fragile that vessel is or how tough the things are, how formidable those pressures are upon that vessel, the inner treasure is of greater power than the outward pressure. And Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You can be weak and lacking in confidence in self, in the outer. But the strength is there to be lived in Christ. We have the treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are pressured on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do. But we don't give up and quit. Many people today are getting stuck in a cycle of negative emotional reaction to adverse circumstances, and there are plenty about. And those emotional reactions come from a negative spiritual energy. They're expressed in the soul, but they, they, our spirit is an energy. Spirit is energy. It's the energy of the love of God, that spiritual energy that created all material things and everything else. But our emotional reactions come from a negative spiritual energy. But Paul is describing the excellence of the power of the Spirit of God. And that flows from the inner treasure of the heart. The word for excellence in the Greek, in this verse, is a word you've probably heard people use on the TV. Some pronounce it correctly, some get it wrong. It's the word hyperbole, which is the word we use to mean exaggerated or overstated. So the excellence of the power, the hyperbole, this Greek word is made up of two words, bole, which means to throw, and hyper, which means hyper, which, which means way out beyond the limits, beyond its normal range. In other words, Paul experienced a power that was out in another orbit in his life. It operated above the normal energy of willpower or mere emotional determination. It was a spiritual power that overcame the world. He found the power of the indwelling treasure of the life of God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. When we ask ourselves about our outward capability of managing the circumstances and challenges and pressures that come upon us in these days. And we might well say, how do I cope with these difficulties or how this is going to work out? It becomes a familiar thing 
in your head, how am I going to cope with this? It's fine to ask the question. Good. It's unknown. And it's unpredictable where things in the course of this world are going to go and how they are going to impact you. We can't predict the things that are going to happen next. All we can say is, when things happen, how will I cope? Well, each one of us can know absolutely, for sure and for certain that our inner capability to come through those pressures spiritually and emotionally is a spiritual energy that nothing can overcome. And it's getting stronger day by day. This is the reality we base our lives on. As Paul says in the same scripture, in 2 Corinthians 4, concerning the treasure in the earthen vessels, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward self is perishing, yet the inward self is being renewed day by day. Verse 16. As all these things are happening, you see them in local situations, but as things are being shaken in these days, all around the world. We can see these shakings as God awakening people in the earth at this time to an awareness of the power of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. That is going to be planted in people's hearts. It's the only way that a person can all of a sudden see light. God said, let there be light. And the Spirit of God moved in the chaos and everything got reordered created. That's how it happens. He hovered and it's time for people to become aware that the Holy Spirit is at work in these ways. The excellency of this power is of a kingdom within that cannot be shaken. Can you imagine the futility of us trying to make things change in the world? Let's fix that and fix it and not allow things to change in ourselves first. That's never worked, never will. If all that we have as a mindset is the pain of the adversity of today, we'll think of life as being all about what we don't have and what we are not, instead of the inner treasure that is about what we do have and about who we truly are in God. Whatever that mindset is becomes the spiritual energy that radiates out from us that manifests who we are and manifests the inner grace that we have to everyone around us. We have to sell off the don't-haves and the am-nots for what we actually do have and who we really are now and allow the excellence of the power of God, that real inner state of who we are, be found in us. It is a spiritual energy exchange. You'll know it, you feel it. You swap one energy for the other. You move forward into something with faith. Everything changes. You don't know the results. You think, Lord, you know, hallelujah, what a hope I've got. We can experience the peace and rest of that beautiful field and the treasure it contains. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Amen.